as I was saying with relationships, it's just about showing up and being there and continuing mm-hmm. to be there with people. And it seems like on the day to day, like showing up for Twitch and just watching a movie with people, it seems like this isn't like some important, great work that you're doing, but really it's very deeply intimate. It's very deeply intimate sharing your life with other people on the internet every day. Like even if I'm not on Twitch every day and I'm definitely not on YouTube every day, but I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Patreon. And so between all of these different platforms, I kind of am with certain people almost every day. Even if it's just retweeting some cute cat photo that I saw, it's something that really is impactful over time. They're small things, but they're very, very impactful. And so I think that the most important lesson to staying connected is just showing up, being there, being authentic. In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over, yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelf. By all accounts, Danica Lee Massey had made it on YouTube. She had over half a million subscribers to her channel, Comic Book Girl 19. And then she let it go. And she moved on and she rebranded herself. And she continued to build a relationship with thousands of people on the internet. But instead of focusing strictly on comic books and comic book characters, she now focuses strictly on Dune, the book, the movie, and the conversation that she has with the thousands of people who tune in to her regular Dune book club that she runs on various channels, including YouTube and Twitch. In our fun and amazing conversation, Danica shares what it's like to work hard to build up that personal brand, and then what it takes to let one of those brands go and recreate a new one, and how she's managed to do that and what she plans on doing in the future to ensure that this continues to be her forever employable career. Take a listen. Hey, folks, welcome to another Forever Employable Story. I'm super duper excited to have artist, YouTuber, and the internet's resident Dune lady. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Danica XIX on the show today. She's been featured in Cosmopolitan Magazine, Variety. She's done a TEDx talk and tons of other online outlets. This is one of those episodes I've been waiting forever to record because this is a real life true story of someone taking the passions they have in life, not just their profession, and building a forever employable platform on top of it. I can't wait to hear your story. Danica, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Me too. So look, we always start with a little bit of background on each guest. Yours is particularly interesting because you were born into a family of rocket scientists, right? Yes, I was. I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. It's a whole town of rocket scientists. It's not just a family. It's a whole town of rocket scientists. It's a really interesting place. Almost everyone is an engineer. A lot of people are engineers out there. And so it was a really interesting town in Alabama. It's not your average Alabama town. But for me personally, I didn't really fit in with that vibe. I really enjoyed growing up there and I'm happy I grew up there, but I definitely had to leave and spread my wings. And so uh, at the tender age of 18, I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia, 
And it was so great to be around people who are creative in a different way, because I am more of the artistic type. And so, you know, the Sith and the engineers are both people who deal in absolutes, you know, and for me, it just wasn't jiving. God bless them. I love engineers so much. But yeah, I was happy to go to SCAD for a little while and then bounce to South Carolina. And then I've been in LA for the past almost 12 years. And I love it here. I feel like I really fit in. Nice. Well, it's good to find your people. It's good to find your home. It's funny. You reminded me a few years ago, I was in New Zealand at a conference and a woman gave one of the most amazing talks I'd ever seen at a design conference. And she kind of combined both worlds. She was a designer on one hand, but she worked for NASA and she designed spacesuits. And she was talking about like, not just making them cool, but making them functional and usable. And they have to obey all the laws of physics and, you know, function in space. Oh, that's the best. Super interesting story. So you go to design school and then 2012, which is Mm -hmm. unbelievably nearly a decade ago, (laughs) you got started with YouTube. Tell me why. Why get into YouTube? Well, at the time, I was working at a tattoo shop after I graduated. I have a degree in comic books, mind you. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, I couldn't really find a job in comic books. So I wanted to draw and I got a job in tattooing. And that's what I was doing at the time. And so me and a couple of my the people I worked with every Wednesday, we would shut down the shop and go pick up our comics and come back to the shop and read them. And I was just getting so excited and I had so much to say about these comics. And so I turned to my partner at the time and he is a videographer. And I was like, I'd been watching him create videos like over four years, short films. And, you know, the internet's so much faster paced. And so I was like, Hey man, why don't you make some videos of me getting drunk on the couch and talking about X-Men? Let's try that. And we did eventually. And we put it on YouTube and I was talking, I think about Avengers versus X-Men. That was a big event going on at the time. And people just liked it and they started watching it and we got views. And so we made another one and we got more views. And then we got more views. We made another one. And here I am today. One of the things I've talked a lot about with folks for the last few months, especially has been around getting over that initial fear, right? Someone's pointing Mm -hmm. a camera at me. I'm going to talk. It's not just like, there's the fear of, I'm going to push record. And then there's the fear of, <laughs> not only going to push record, but then I'm going to push publish yes. at some point. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Did you experience that? How did you get past that? Absolutely. I am not a trained media personality. And so being on camera at first was really scary for me. And I did have to kind of get drunk to do it a little bit. I had to drink some of the old liquid courage to get up there. And luckily my partner was a really great director and he also like really helped through directing me and being very patient with me. And I mean, at first we took a lot, it would take a lot of takes sometimes. It would take a lot of takes, but eventually we'd get it. And as I kept doing it, I just got better and better. And here I am today. Although it's funny because my last video, I did mess up like a day. Like I didn't like where it was going. And then I kind of fell off the horse and I got a little nervous about it. And so I had to go back to my friend Liquid Courage to like get back on the horse. So I did, I did get a little drunk before my next round two fight because my first one, I got knocked out. 
and it worked out. But then the second time I filmed, I didn't have to use it again. So now generally I don't have to do that unless I just want to, or if I'm feeling a little nervous because I messed up my other one. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. What I like about it though, look, is look, if you're feeling nervous about this, right? Clearly a couple of drinks helps, especially if you're <laughs> right. You can't get too drunk though. You can't get too drunk. Right, right. It's funny. I, I, I used to be a touring musician years ago and we had to actually institute a rule that mm. maximum three beers before the show. Like if you, yes. if you, right. Because anything more than that, well, the show was a train wreck. So yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But it was great. It was nice that you had, you had somebody to guide you, to direct you in that sense, right? Literally direct yes. you in this case, but also yes. to kind of give you a sense of like what good looks like or what good should be. And I think that that's really an important takeaway here is if, you're struggling to figure out kind of what to put together, how to put it together. Finding someone who might who's done it a couple of times, maybe can reading something from that person or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Someone help. also that you trust and someone who knows you. I mean, it can even be a friend of yours who cares about you and wants you know you to present your best self, and they've seen your best self, so they know what that is. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Right. And look, and they're going to be honest with you, but gentle. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good, especially if you're just starting out. Mm-hmm. So just kind of sticking with the kind of the early days for just a second and, and transitioning yes. as the videos have picked up. Talk to me a little bit about the technical setup you had back then and how mm-hmm. that's evolved over the years. And I guess, you know, what I'm really trying to get at here is how quickly did you get up and running mm-hmm. on YouTube making videos? And what kind of investments did you make then versus now as far as like presenting yourself well online? Yes. As I was saying, I was working with another person originally. I had a creative partner and they were a videographer. So they already had a lot of gear. So I was really lucky in that. So we used his gear, but even then we, he already had most everything, but we had to upgrade as we went along for sure. But we used DSLR cameras. I can't remember what, what our first camera was, but as we went along, I think the Panasonic GH cameras now. I'm using today the GH2s that we purchased a long time ago. So I'm still using the DSLRs that we secondarily purchased. And then he had like a shotgun mic. Now I'm doing a different one. I'm doing the Shure SM7 mic. He had a variety of different lighting equipment, but like the Kino flows and things like that. But now with LEDs and things are so cheap, I've switched over to everything from an Ikea light on this side to a ring light over there and... It's funny how my tech has gone less technical as I've gone along and I've simplified my tech that helps me do all this. No, that's exactly right. And that's the other thing I think, look, you don't need a big investment to look good, to do good work. And in fact, it's getting cheaper cheaper and better. Cheaper every day. It's amazing every day. Although I will say you, if you're doing video editing work, you need to invest in a editing computer. Yeah. So I just re-upped and invested in a new editing computer that I got a good deal from an editing house in Burbank. Nice. Look, your success warrants that level of increased investment, especially in the editing. But the idea is the similar situation here. I've got the lowest end Sony DSLR that works as a webcam and Mm -hmm. an Elgato key light, which I bought for a hundred bucks and and a Blue Yeti. And it's like roughly $500 investment. And I look amazing. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I really like doing sets though. 
I always like to have a little bit of a set behind oh, me. Yeah. And so that's always been something that we've been, you know, I've been doing different sets as I've grown as an artist. And you do those yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I designed them myself. And I mean, these bookshelf behind me is from a thrift store. You know, again, Ikea curtains are behind me. There's a lot of Ikea stuff going on here. Amazing. Okay. So jump back into the context. So sci-fi, right? So as a fellow lover of sci-fi, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your attraction. Why science fiction? Why science fiction? Well, as we were talking about before, I come from a family of rocket scientists and engineers. And so my uncle Daniel was really into science fiction. And so he was the gateway person who got me into it growing up. He exposed me to Dune, obviously, and Star Wars and lots of other things. And I just think it's a really fun genre. I like all the questions that come up with it. I like that there's a self-awareness to sci-fi where we take ourselves and project this idea of like, what are we going to do, us monkeys? What's going to happen when we have these technologies? And how is that going to go wrong (laughs) or right? And I love those questions because it's not only you're going on an adventure and you know, you get the fantasy element of it and you get to kind of check out of your life a little bit and have fun there. But you also, it's grounded in these ideas of what could happen in the future. You know, what can we look out for? What do we not need to do? I mean, I always crack up when I see these headlines of people saying, oh, scientists say that we can create a dinosaur now. And I'm like, did we not watch Jurassic Park, guys? This is a bad idea. Right. Why are we even attempting this? Like, you guys did not learn the lesson. You did not listen to Dr. Ian Malcolm. There were five, at least, or six Jurassic Park movies, too. So if you missed the first one, you had multiple <laughs> opportunities. So many opportunities right. to see what a bad idea this is. Yeah. But I mean, even now with like how AI, I mean, what's going to happen with AI in the future? I mean, how many movies have we seen about how this could go wrong? But <laughs> alternatively... You know, there are examples of where it goes right, although there was no internet, but in Star Trek Next Generation, like Data, I guess, is an AI, but he's self-contained. There's not an internet component, so it's a little different. And he also came in contact with humans who are very highly evolved, and they treated him with respect. So he doesn't turn on them, although sometimes in some episodes. But that's another thing. I was exposed to uh, that growing up. I loved Star Trek The Next Generation. I felt like Picard was like my surrogate dad. I love him. <laughs> yes. I'm a Picard fan myself. And the next generation as well. So sci-fi, YouTube videos, X-Men versus yeah. Avengers. Yes. You've been making videos for a while now. Mm-hmm. And so of all of them, what's the most watched one? And I think I think what would be interesting for the folks is, why do you think it was so popular? Like what made it really sort of catchy? Okay. My most popular, most watched video is the Epic History X-Men Volume 1 with 1.5 million views. I don't have a ton of videos with a million views or over, but that's one of them. I'm very proud of it. It is a 60-minute documentary about the X-Men, starting with their inception, where they came from in 1964, all the way to when they blew up in the 1970s. And I also did two more of those. There are three Epic History X-Men series documentaries going over. The next one is about the Phoenix, and then the next one is about the Dark Phoenix. So we go over Jean's whole transformation from becoming the Phoenix and then her spoilers eventual death. So (laughs) (laughs) 
But the Epic History X-Men series, I started talking about the X-Men a lot. That was kind of one of the big things that I talked about in the beginning. And so for me, my audience, I had grown my audience for several years before I jumped into doing this documentary series, which was originally produced by Vimeo. And so people were just ready to hear me go into it and kind of take it to the next level from doing a YouTube video to doing something that was a little bit higher as more of a documentary style. So people were really excited about that and to see this evolution from doing a regular YouTube video to doing something that was a little a little higher production value. And also at the moment when I made it, I was also like hot. We like to say that in the industry, you know, you're hot. So I had a lot of momentum at the time, which really helped me as well. Got it. And so just, I just want to recap. So, so first of all, the production quality, right? So justifiably yes. so because you're on an upward trend, right? People are paying attention. Mm-hmm. So we're investing in higher, in higher production quality. My assumption yes. is that this was a, a fairly heavily researched. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I take deep dives in my videos. And so this was an even deeper dive than I normally take, which are already, we get in there. So this was something that the people were really hungry for. Right. And so I think it's really important, right? Because you, you picked a very specific niche and then you went deep on that, but in an informed way. It wasn't like, oh, I like this. And so I'm just going to push record. Yeah. I actually, you, you did the work mm-hmm. to provide insights that other folks were not going to do the work to find out. Yeah. And here's another thing about comics in particular that I find very strange and interesting is that a lot of people are interested in comic books, but they don't want to take the time to actually read them. (laughs) There's like allergic reaction to actually sitting down and reading the comics and they want to know more about it, but they're not going to take the time. And also, I mean, I get it because they are so esoteric. There are decades of stuff you'd have to go back and read. So it's a lot. It's a little overwhelming for people. So this was something where if you were interested in the X-Men, but you didn't have the time or the energy to go back and read all of the comics, from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s, I can help guide you through all of the major things that are going on and the interesting plot points you need to know without having to do. I do the homework for you, so you don't have to. That's what this is all about, right? It's that deep expertise that then you're sharing and other folks can benefit from that, which is amazing. Okay, that takes work to read (laughs) 30 years worth of comic books, right? And effort and to synthesize that. And so tell me, how do you go, how did you go about creating a job out of this, out of having a relationship with thousands of people on the internet, right? How did you go about creating a job out of it? It's been a really wild, interesting ride. The internet is the wild west, in my opinion. And I'm so excited to be a little frontiersman on this plane, this imaginary, it's like real, but not real at the same time, this dimension. And I grew up with the internet. It kind of started when I was hitting puberty. And I know a lot of people in the tech field are around in their mid thirties that are driving the internet. Like my whole generation has really grew up with it and are, and are kind of running it now. And so I've just found my way in the internet. And I, if I didn't have the internet, I don't know what I would be doing. And for some reason, I feel like I'm very perfectly created to have a relationship with thousands of people at once. And I can do that. And I'm not entirely sure where that comes from. Maybe it's a little, I'm not diagnosed with ADHD, but my mind is going like at a million miles a second all the time. And so I'm able to react to all these different people and uh, continue to have a relationship with them. 
And I think the big part of it is authenticity. Like I really enjoy having a relationship with the internet. A lot of people like to focus on the negative parts of having a relationship with the internet. And that's a mistake. I mean, it's like with any relationship, it's going to have its ups and it's going to have its downs. And the thing that I learned on the internet was you're going to get every reaction possible to everything that you do. So you can't expect everyone to love everything you're doing. You're going to get people to say negative stuff to you. And if you focus on that and you let that guide you versus paying attention to some of the more positive aspects of your relationship, then you're never going to make. If you get drowned in negative comments and you let that get in your head and under your skin, it's going to destroy you. And the internet has taught me so much. Like not only do I teach the internet things, they also teach me things and they always keep me on my toes. Like the internet, they always have something to say to you. That's like the out of left field where you're like, I would have never thought that. And I just think that's so special and fun. And I feel like the internet has made a woman out of me. Like I feel like it's made me so hard in certain ways, but like in a good way, like it's definitely like thick in my skin. And yeah, it's been really cool to just talk to these people and hang out with them. Cause it's like, we're all bored and we all don't have, some of us live in really small towns and there's not other people readily available who have the same interests as you. And so you can connect with all these people online and find your community, even if they're not where you are physically. And so I like to just create these communities around like stuff like Dune or X-Men or whatever we're talking about at the time. Like right now on Twitch, uh, I have like a whole little crew of people that show up every week to come hang out. And I know their handles and like, I know their personalities and some of them are problem children and we have issues and some of them are amazing and the best. And I mean, the thing about the internet too, is they're always going to keep you honest. They keep you so honest. They will call you out if they smell bullshit. The internet knows bullshit so quick. And it's one of the things that I'm really grateful for, because if I ever am kind of getting off track, they will let me know. And at first, sometimes it's a little bit of a bummer, but then you're like, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe there's something, maybe there's something there. That's such a straight. No, that's good. It's an instant feedback channel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially if you've got any kind of audience, right? As soon as you put something out there, you're going to get some feedback. Yeah. And it's going to keep you honest. And sometimes uh, people are going to say not so nice things. Sadly. Yeah, but it is a real relationship and it must be treated as such. <laughs> right, and nurtured. So let's talk yes. about <laughs> But I want to talk about, there's an aspect of this relationship that we need to talk about as well, which is mm-hmm. making a living off of this yes. relationship, yes. right? Yes. And so there's a couple of ways that you do that. Let's, let's start with Patreon. Patreon is not mm-hmm. something that I have talked a lot about in Forever Employable Stories yet. The mm-hmm. folks that we've had on, I think I found different channels ultimately, but you're using Patreon. So let's talk about that. How do you use Patreon to help build a deeper relationship with your network and frankly, make a living? Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like I'm kind of married to the internet and they do pay my bills. And so, like I said, I treat this relationship very, very seriously. And one of the great tools that I've used is Patreon. And it has been super helpful for me. When I first got one, I don't even remember what year it was. My grasp on time is tenuous at best. At first, I didn't know what to do with it. And at first, I wasn't paying enough attention to it. And it wasn't this huge overnight success for me. At first, like maybe for the first year or so, I didn't know what I was doing. And I had a few patrons on there, but it wasn't an overwhelming thing. And then as I went along and just played with it, I eventually understood that, again, 
platform is also a relationship. You just have to be there. You have to show up. You have to post things for them. And so I retool my Patreon every couple of years to bring in new people. Cause that's the thing is like, they get bored of stuff. You know, people get bored of things. And so you have to like switch it up and change it up. Like it's like having a storefront where your store looks the same all the time, but then maybe if you move some shelves around, then all of a sudden, you know, these people who come in your store every day, they, oh, they finally noticed this product that they never noticed before. So it's really important to change it up on Patreon. And I've done several different iterations of my Patreon and actually I need to retool it again, but it's been a really great source of income, like stable income. Cause that's the hard thing being an artist is your income. A lot of times, at least in my experience is up and down. And so this has been a great way to stabilize it because it's monthly donations from people and there's different tier levels. So if you're at this, you know, you get this much a month, you get this, you get this much a month, you get access to that. You get this much a month, blah, 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 blah. And I've been really, really lucky with people just responding to the things that I'm doing and coming in and, and it's become, Patreon has become my, one of my uh, number one sources of income over the years. It wasn't always like that, but it has become something that's very stabilizing in my life. And, and I'm very thankful for it. But again, I still struggle with, am I putting out enough content? You know, like for a couple of months back there, I wasn't. And so it starts waning and you'll see like the numbers start going down and you're like, oh no, I'm losing patrons. And you know, you've got to do something to get them back up. And so it does take effort and work and time to do that. So it's not something that you can just set up and just leave it running. And it just, oh, brings you all this money. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I love a lot of things that you said, just to kind of recap a couple of things, because they echo a lot of the ideas in Forever Employable, right? So we talked about authenticity, right? So being mm-hmm. your true self putting yourself out there and be like, this is who I am. This is what I think. We can debate those. If you want to be respectful <laughs> about that debate, you can yes. go away if you don't want to be respectful, but that's really great. The other thing is, is consistency, right? So putting your ideas out there, putting your content out there consistently. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I love that you said is this continuous reinvention. It's one of the things I talk a lot about in the book is this idea that what got you here isn't going to get you there, right? Yeah. People get bored. People get bored or there's no shortage of competition for attention, let's be Mm -hmm. honest, right? And so how do you continuously reinvent what you're putting out there to keep folks interested in, in this case, can keep them being patrons, Mm -hmm. tuning in, whatever it is. And that's really, really important. When I introduced you, I introduced you as the internet's resident Dune lady. Yes. But we haven't talked about Dune at all, except for like half a second. So tell me why you are the internet's resident Dune lady. And and I know you run Dune book club. So tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit about that idea and how that works as well. Absolutely. So I've loved Dune since I was a kid. I saw the movie growing up and I realized I don't understand this, but I think it's so cool. Like a lot of people went for the Star Wars route. And I was like, no, I'm like really into this Dune stuff. And so later uh, when I was in high school, I attempted to read the book. I still didn't get it. I was like, I really like this still. I still don't get it. And then I read it again in college and then it started clicking with me. And I've read all of the Frank Herbert's, I'm an Orthodox Herbertian. I've read all of his books in the series. And so it's just something that I really love and I get so much out of it. And it's authentically, I am obsessed with Dune. Mm -hmm. And so I heard that there was going to be a new Dune movie coming out about six years ago or something at this point. And I was like, this is my chance. (laughs) 
I have to, you know, I have to put myself out there. So the emperor will have to deal with us. Like (laughs) I had to do something. And I was also, it's funny. I was in a moment of a project hadn't worked out and I was financially in a not cute spot. And I was like, how, what am I going to do to pull myself out of this hole? And it was like the middle of the night. And this like little voice came to me and it said, Dune Club. And I was like, what? And I was like, Dune Club. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Let's read Dune with the internet. Let's do a book club and read Dune with the internet. And this movie's going to come out and like, we'll start doing these Dune Clubs in the meantime, and we'll become the internet's resident Dune lady. And so hopefully when this movie comes out, they'll like recognize me, or at least I know the internet will recognize me. I don't know if the studio will or not, but I know somebody will recognize And so I did my first Dune Club and it is on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. Yeah. And yeah. And so we've read and it was also a hugely financially just smash success for me because I. Let's break it down a little bit. So what is Dune Club and how does it make you money? Okay. So Dune Club is a Dune book club where we meet. I tell people, these are the pages you need to read. And then we talk about them. So it's broken up over like 10 to 12 sessions, generally 10 to 12 classes. And so in the Dune Club, I will kind of recap what goes on in the chapter. And then I will add my thoughts of like trying to explain things because Dune is very, again, I use the word esoteric. It's hard. It's not an easy book to read and to understand. And so I help kind of lead people through the sands of Arrakis safely so that they can so that they can keep going because a lot of people give up on these books. So yeah. And then we do questions and answers afterwards. So if people have questions, they give me questions. And on Patreon too, I'll say, oh, I'm going to address my Patreon questions first, and then we'll do questions from the audience. So I was doing a live thing and then I take those lives and then I put them on YouTube for posterity. And so we've done Dune Club, Dune Messiah. So that was Dune Club 2, Children of Dune Club. And now in August, we're getting ready to do God Emperor Dune Club. I'm so excited. This is the book that a lot of people drop off on because it's really weird, but it's one of my favorites. So I've been looking forward to this ever since I started it. But how I make money with Dune Club is through Dune Boxes. So I like making merch. Merch is my other main source of income. It's not ad revenue. It's not sponsorships. It's merchandise because I love merchandising. I don't like doing sponsorships. I don't like selling people some dumb thing that I don't care about. And I don't like dealing with the sponsorship people. It's really annoying. There's a lot of emails. I don't like emails. So I just didn't go down that path. And ad revenue for me was I never made enough hits to really make enough ad revenue. So for me, I love making merch in my little consumerist heart. I love buying merch. So I also, I love making it and I like to make stuff that I want. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't, but generally it does. And so with the Dune box inside is generally a, the book that we need to read from because there are no chapter numbers in Dune. So you need a specific copy to read from because I tell you the page numbers. Cause if you have a different copy, then the page numbers might be off. So it's a little hard to do a Dune book club. And then also inside, there's generally an enamel pen. I've done a spice melange necklace. I've done a book. Oh yeah. Bookmarks. We always have a bookmark in there. There'll be a little class schedule in there. And then I've also done like a lot of other stuff. Like I did last year, I did a Bene Gesserit notebook and I had a Chome company sticky notepad and I had a Souk school pen and I did like a bathwater of life, Alia necklace. I had my own bathwater. I did a shoot as 
Alia, the grown-up Alia, where she's abomination Alia, where she's been, you know, possessed and is evil now. And so, so I've done a lot of different Dune merch. And actually this year, I'm getting ready to do my next Dune box. I'm really excited about it. I just designed the new pen. I'm going to do a Lido's piece enamel pen. So I'm excited about that. That'll be really fun. And like a little keychain. I think we're going to do a key. I've never done a keychain before. So we're going to do a keychain this year. And yeah, it's merchandising is super fun. I mean, like shipping sucks. I'm not going to lie to you. Like the shipping aspect of it is a lot and the customer service can be really annoying, but I think it's really worth it in the end for me because that's like anything that makes you money. Like there's nothing that's going to make you money that isn't going to have some annoying aspect to it. That's like not fun. (laughs) So it's like, what's like with sponsorships, I don't like the emails and all the stuff and tell people telling me what I can do and saying, Oh, I don't like that. Can you re-record it? Or you can't say this or you blah, 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 blah. I'd rather deal with shipping stuff than email stuff with ad people. And so with the Dune Club, so people can join the club for free, but yes, the merch is the monetization. That's fantastic. Yes. Super cool, right? Super cool. So there's an audience there's a shared interest, a common interest. You have mm-hmm. the expertise. And in order to participate, you've got to take part in this seemingly super cool kind of merch thing. So if, if you're into this anyway, this is just a nice add-on to have. Yeah. You know, it's like the concert t-shirt after you go to the show. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did a Dune t-shirt once, the Litany Against Fear t-shirt. It was like turned out so cool and it made it look like a band t-shirt, actually. It was really cute. Cool. So look, this is an interesting because folks who are thinking about what to do next in their lives are always concerned with the transition. Now, yes. you used to be known as Comic Book Girl 19. Today, mm-hmm. you're Danica XIX. So first of all, yes. why the rebrand? Mm-hmm. And secondarily, how hard was it? Well, assuming you wanted to bring the audience along with you mm-hmm. on the rebrand, how hard was it to bring them from there to here? Yes. So when I got the moniker Comic Book Girl 19, it was just available on Google. And I didn't know that like this was going to blow up and be a thing. Not that I'm ashamed of the title Comic Book Girl 19. I love it. I still answer to it. I'm not like against it. I don't hate it. And I haven't changed my YouTube channel from that because I think that rebranding can be suicidal. It's a difficult thing to do. I personally wanted to rebrand for a couple reasons. One thing was, you know, comic book girl 19. I don't really feel like a girl anymore. I, like I said, the internet kind of made a woman out of me. I feel like I've outgrown it a bit. Mm -hmm. And so there's that. And I knew that when I had it, I was like, I can't be comic book girl forever. It kind of gets ridiculous at a point, but the, also my creative partner and I split up. And so what we made together was the comic book girl 19 show. Mm. And I wanted to mark that era is over of working with that person. And so I've gone forward working alone. I'm a solo act now. And I wanted to reflect that in my name. I mean, I even like shaved off all my hair. Like I had a very iconic, colorful mohawk. And it, you know, I went through all these different colors of the rainbow throughout the years and I just needed to have a fresh start. And so I shaved my head totally bald. And now, um, yeah, so it was like that. So it wasn't even just like, I even redid my hair and now it's growing back and everything. And it's, and I'm doing like some reds and oranges, which I never really got to with the Mohawk, but yeah, so that's why I rebranded. And I knew that when I did this, that it was, I knew that like, if I talked to like, if I had a manager or somebody, they'd be like, this is a bad idea. 
that's not what people, they know comic book girl. They don't know Danica. Like they don't care. But it was just like, I needed to do it for myself spiritually. And I knew that I was going to lose some people doing it and it was going to be confusing, but that was okay. And it's okay. And like, it's like a fruit tree. Like my career, I feel like is a fruit tree. And sometimes you have to prune the tree to get more quality fruits. So don't be afraid to prune the tree. Call the herd every now and again. It's good for you. It's scary because you see those numbers go down and it can be a little nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie. But in the end, that'll kind of make space for new people to come in. And I think that the people who really do care, it also separates out the people in your flock who really care and the people who are just kind of like on the outskirts, who aren't really the people who are buying your stuff, who aren't really paying attention. So you kind of shake those people off. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's trying something new, trying something different. And then not everyone's coming along with you. Yeah, and that can certainly be scary, especially if you're trying to make a living from this. Well, good for you for pushing on with it. Last question. And this one's a really interesting one, I think, for a lot of folks. So with tech changing so rapidly, attention spans shortening, interests just sort of being super fickle, memes, trends, et cetera. Like, remember mm-hmm. Clubhouse? <laughs> that was like, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Even my kids, they're like, Remember Among Us? I was like, you were playing it last week. They're like, that's so yesterday. It's terrible. Uh, From your perspective, because you've been doing this for a while now, right? So one mm -hmm. of the most important lessons you've learned about staying relevant and staying Mm -hmm. connected to your audience with kind of everybody's like attention spans going all over the place. What have you learned about staying relevant and connected to your audience? Yes, I've learned that as I was saying with relationships, it's just about showing up and being there and continuing mm-hmm. to be there with people. And it seems like on the day to day, like showing up for Twitch and just watching a movie with people, it seems like this isn't like some important, great work that you're doing, but really it's very deeply intimate. It's very deeply intimate sharing your life with other people on the internet every day. Like even if I'm not on Twitch every day and I'm definitely not on YouTube every day, but I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Patreon. And so between all of these different platforms, I kind of am with certain people almost every day, even if it's just retweeting some cute cat photo that I saw. It's something that really is impactful over time. They're small things, but they're very, very impactful. And so I think that the most important lesson to staying connected is just showing up, being there, being authentic, not people. Again, as you evolve, some people are going to drop off. Some people aren't going to like the new brand, but it's important to continue to evolve for me, at least. I mean, I know that there are some people out there who like they have their shtick and they do this one thing and that's what they do and they do it well. And that's what people want. And that works out for them, that sort of consistency. But for me, I'm an ever evolving person. I'm always growing. And just to continue to grow with these people online while remaining authentic, is it's important, I think. They like to go on a journey with you too. I mean, it's okay to change as you move along because some people are down for that because they see that that is real. That is real life. And they feel like they have a big part of your life and they do. I mean, no. it's, it's real. Show up, be present, be authentic, evolve, and let some folks go if they don't want to come with you. I love it. Yeah. Danica, <laughs> X-I-X, Thank you so much for sharing your forever employable story with me today. It was fantastic to have you on the show. What a pleasure, Jeff. Really appreciate it. 
Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so, I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at gothealth.co and let me know.